Hello, I'm Aaron Fowler and welcome to another episode of the Disability Sports Podcast. My guest this week is visually impaired surfer David Lewis. Dave competes in adaptive surfing for England. Dave talks about his surfing journey so far, his ambitions for the future and his love of sport. Here's the interview and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello Dave and uh, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, no, very well, thank you. Um, thank you very much for joining us today to tell us obviously about your surfing career so far. Um, I just wondered if you could start off by telling us a bit about yourself. Um, so my name's Dave Lewis. I um, sort of uh, work in IT, very sporty. Um, obviously with a sight loss journey, getting back into sport since that started in the VI classification. So yeah. That's basically me, I think. And can you tell us what your eye condition is? Um, my eye condition is um, uh, retinitis pigmentosa. This was specifically the X-linked uh, RPGR gene defect. So it's a degradation, uh, sorry, degradative condition. So it's just going to continue getting um, more and more impaired as time goes forward. And for people listening who aren't familiar with uh, retinitis pigmentosa, can you briefly try and explain what your vision is currently like? So um, my vision is collapsing from the outside. So basically I've got no peripheral vision at all. Um, my center vision is about 20 degrees in the middle. Um, so it's, it's basically a tunnel that I look through all the time. And when did your sight uh, loss journey begin? Um, I was diagnosed at 39, so coming up to five years ago. Um, that was when I was instructed that I was no longer allowed to drive. Um, so, yeah, about five years ago, the journey started. And how did you deal with uh, being told that later on in life? So I've got RP myself, but I was diagnosed when I was five. So I've never known any different. And I always think it's easier if you, you're born with it or know from a young age because I've never been able to drive so things like that I've never had to give up but I just wanted yeah from a you know from a mental health point of view and and for, uh, for things affecting your personal life how, how did you cope with that? In, initially um, it was very very tough um, basically I lived in the middle of the countryside to go to Sainsbury's as soon as I couldn't drive it was a three-hour round trip and then to the next town over buses and taxis and stuff like that so it was it was a it was a pretty rocky year or so um i then moved house to a place where i have felt and i'm reasonably sure i've got got the town right because there's a grid system here um in fleet um that i can navigate around fairly easily as my eyesight degrades further um once moving to fleet i actually found out about sorry visually impaired cricket and started going up for ten, um, the training sessions at that, and then lockdown happened. A <laughs> uh, uh, kind of a uh, pile on of uh, difficulties going through that bit of time. But the, yeah, even just starting to get involved in the sport again was like life coming back, as it were. And is sport something that was a big part of your life before you lost your sight as well? Um, yeah, it was until I was about 25 when I think possibly the eyesight started to go in various ways but it wasn't enough to tip me over into the condition of where I'm at now I, I was playing a reasonable level of rugby um Sunday village cricket 
as a kid, I did high jump and various athletics as well. Um, but yeah, so it's almost like coming back into sport of 40, uh, sorry, 40 odd again is like my, my brain thinks I'm 25. My body's telling me I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and how important has your involvement in your sports been for helping you to come to terms with sight loss and uh, learning from other people who live with sight loss about what support is out there? Um it's been fantastic, basically. Um, before, I didn't really know anybody with sight loss. Um, actually getting to meet people who have it, have worse sight loss than I have, and still function well, um, has given me a lot of confidence that I can continue to function well going forward. Um, and basically, the camaraderie of the sports environments is a large thing I think I've missed since I was about 25 when I really stopped playing um, competitive sport at that point. And you mentioned you were diagnosed with your eye condition about five years ago. Was there a time before that, though, that you felt perhaps there was something wrong with your eyes? Did you notice you were struggling in certain situations at all? Um, I was always, I started to struggle driving at night um, the year, in the year running up to the diagnosis. Um, it got to the point where I said to myself, I had to go to the opticians to figure out if I need a new prescription or whatever. They immediately sipped me off to the eye hospital. And that was when the uh, news of no more driving came, came about. Cool. So I'd like to begin uh, a bit with your childhood as well. So whereabouts yeah. did you grow up and what were your you know, interests and hobbies as a kid? Um, so I, I grew up in a little village between Reading and Basingstoke, so not far from where I am now. Um, my mum and my sister still live over that way. Um, growing up, predominantly, it was sports all the time. Uh, whatever sport was going, I was playing. Um, yeah, it was basically sports. And what's your earliest sporting memory? Um, earliest sporting memory um i think i had a trial for reading when i was about eight that didn't go very well but that's, that's sort of the earliest concrete memory i had of actual sports that was the football um we gave up the football when we realized rugby was better um, <laughs> um so yeah that was when i was about eight so that's the, probably the earliest memory of any form of competitive sport that i played and what were the main sports you played growing up so you've mentioned football and rugby were there many others um, from sort of the age of about 14, it was athletics involving predominantly sprinting and high jump, uh, rugby and cricket. Those were the primary sports involved. And who was your sporting idol growing up? Oh, difficult. It's one of those things I never really watched that much TV or sports on TV because I was always out playing. Um, I think probably going up into like late teens and stuff like that, as I was starting to play in the back row Neil Back was probably the um, primary icon as he's a bit as a butcher's dog as it were and put his head where most people won't put their hands so that was a sort of an inspiration for me going forward at that point. Cool and so you mentioned that you played sport up until about 25 and perhaps didn't get involved again for perhaps another 14, 15 years so yeah. what was the reason for having a break was it due to work commitments and life taking it, over it was predominantly right down to the com competitiveness of it um as my 
as I was starting to not be able to perform at the level of the sports I wanted to play at, I could have dropped down the divisions. I decided not to. Um, I didn't feel comfortable coming out of the level the level I was playing at and going to a lower level. And it would, it, 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 I didn't think it would be fair to do that to other people. I mean, at the sort of South uh, Southern County South level rugby where I was playing at, you hit people hard in tackles and you don't necessarily want to hurt people. Um, it, and it, it, with the eyesight going, it, that was probably going to happen. So I decided, yeah, probably best to drop out of the rugby altogether. There was a couple of injuries that kinked into that as well, a bit of a shoulder injury as well, which kind of uh, accelerated that decision at the time. Okay, well, you obviously done well to, you know, play at a good standard of rugby, which is, you know, awesome to hear. Um, how did you first hear about Sorry Vision Impaired Cricket Club? Uh, believe it or not, um, until about two years ago, I was still playing darts for a pub team. And I played against a team that had, um, I think it was Hawley and Blackwater. So one of the guys there I was playing against knew about the Surrey VI cricket um, and pointed me in that direction and went from there. And how has your cricket journey uh, progressed since then? Uh, it's been a bit odd learning the differences between the cricket I used to play with the Red Bull and the VI form of the game. It's coming together reasonably well now, I think. Um, bowling actions back in play. I'm probably, well, I'm more of a batter now than I ever was before. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, it's, 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 been, it's been progressing quite well. Fielding side of things is, is difficult when you're further away from the wicket and then picking the ball up um, with your sight or hearing it or whatever has been difficult when I'm closer to the wicket it seems easier but yeah it's it's one of those things just to sort of keep ticking it ticking over it learning every game that I play of the training session and see where we get to and what are your best batting and bowling figures so far um I can't remember the what runs it went for I got a five four five for in the season and I got a 47 run out against Metro um, early end of this uh, early part of the summer as well brilliant and um, the sport you've mainly come on uh, today to talk about and one that you're you know really flourishing in is um, obviously surfing so I uh, just yeah. wondered if you can uh, tell us a bit about when your surfing journey began so growing up I always felt that there was and certainly when I stopped doing the athletics, there was, always, there was always something in my head that I needed to do a sport for a team or more than one sport for a team and a sport for me. So ever since I've sort of a, like late teenager, I've largely tried to have a go at surfing. And I never actually went and lived in the right place or traveled enough to actually get anywhere good at it while I could still see. But I did know how to stand up on a surfboard. So get to my feet and turn a little bit. So when the sight loss came in, I started speaking to all the guys in um, Surrey and found out that quite a lot of you, uh, quite a lot of the guys there did the cricket effectively for fun and a international sport of whichever flavour it was for the, the more competitive side of things. So I thought, OK, I'm 40 odd years old. I'm not going to be competitive in goalball. I don't even I've never even seen a game of goalball. <laughs> Blind football, I'm probably represent out, but I can. Let's, uh, let's see if I can stand up on a surfboard. Let's see how this works. 
So I gave that a go. I found turned up um, team manager of Surfing England to figure out how I could actually do that. They were running an English Open competition that year um, at the Wave Pool in Bristol. So I went down for that. Um, was very definitely a beginner. I hadn't been in the water for about five years, but managed to get to my feet a few times. And yeah, the love for it came back. And since then, I've been trying to get as much, get away surfing as much as humanly possible, wherever in the world I can, or even down in Cornwall or the Wave Pool in Bristol. And are there any adaptations or differences in a visually impaired surfing competition to, you know, say a regular surfing competition? Yeah, so the board and the equipment is basically the same. Um, the, uh, the main difference is there is someone in the water with me to basically call me when a wave's coming and position me at the right place to catch that wave. So there's a lot of communication on the front end. Once I'm stood up and going, he's now, the, the, the person will be behind the wave so they can't see what I'm doing. So effectively I'm on my own feeling the way, feeling my way down the wave on my feet. Um, but yeah, the, the main difference is having, um, a spotter in the water for, um, for like positioning and takeoff and also priority rules when we're in competition. And how far away does your spotter stand? Because being in the ocean, sometimes the waves can be quite noisy. So how so close the, are they? They'll be pretty close, like within two metres. Um, they'll be on a surfboard. They won't be um, standing anywhere. Um, uh, the picture uh, behind me has a pier on it. We looked at trying to call from a pier, but it didn't really work because there's a lot of people up there and it's difficult to pull the voice out of the crowd. Um, so it's, it's generally better to have them in the water next to you. And in terms of competitions, how does it work? Is it, for example, uh, you know, scores based on whoever rides the best wave or what's the format? It's predominantly, um, it's a judged competition, which is a bit different for VI sports in general. I don't think there are many judged judge competitions um we're basically um measured on best wave and maneuvers so turning critical parts of the wave uh, from that point there um and the, the the more critical maneuver the more extreme maneuver the bigger the wave the higher the score will be so in in reality most competitions i've been in run with two heats and then a final um, that changes depending on how many people are in the competition for how many heats there are. Um, so, yes, yeah, so you basically, your best two scores from your heats total up and the winners of those go through to the final. The winner of the final wins it. And do you compete against people from just the same site classification or can you compete against anyone from, say, B1 to B3? So the site, uh, the VI site classification of surfing are pretty similar to other sort of Paralympic classifications where the B1s are in their own category, category as no site. And then B2 and B3 are grouped together as effectively a partial vision impairment category. Okay. Um, of which I'm probably the bottom end of the site, site classification. So a lot of a lot of the competitions seem to go with who uses a white stick and who doesn't but that's part and parcel of the way the site classifications work the people who can see better will probably do better and do you know uh, roughly how many people in the uk participate in visually impaired surfing uh in the uk i think comp competition wise i think there's three or four of us um 
There's a girl from Cornwall, myself, and a lad from Wales. I don't know of any others. There are other people who do surf, but I don't know whether they do com competitive or not. And do you know how long visually impaired surfing has been around in the UK? Um, as competition, not. I think most things started in about 2015 when there was a, re a requirement to have like para a para classification to get surfing into the Olympics full. So they had to have a para classification as part of that bid. So the world championship I start I think started in 2015 and I think everything's cascaded out of that. There have been people surfing before then, whether it's competitive or not, it's before my sight loss journey started. So I don't actually know. So you've uh, obviously been fortunate to go out and represent Team England um, at a few events as well. So uh, can you tell us about some of the tournaments you've been to? So um, the Team England stuff is basically the ISA-based competition, so the International Surfing Association. So they run a World Championships once a year. Um, I went to the my first ocean competition was the World Championships last year. So it was a big very big learning experience about how how the competitions work the previous competitions with surfing england and in the english open have all been in the wave pool so it's been very different from how a um, ocean competition is run there's a lot of learning going on there there are a number of the competitions that go around around the world that mostly are based as opens so um this year i've been out to hawaii to surf at waikiki for the Hawaii Hawaii Adaptive Surfing Championships. And I've also been out to Oceanside in Southern California for the US Open of Adaptive Surfing. Brilliant. I mean, it sounds like it's a sport worth taking up purely for the uh, incredible destinations you get to go to alone. Um, how did you uh, get on at the tournaments you've uh, participated um, in so far? Last year's World Championship was a learning experience, so uh, I didn't get on that well. However, as the heats progressed, I started to get better uh, better scores not good scores but it, it, it was a very definite learning experience it was also um one of the things we have to do as um, vr surfers is we have to get to know our spotter and their spotter has to get to know us so rather than just saying oh here's a wave you've got to go for it now they need to understand how fast i'm going to paddle if i'm going to accelerate away from the wave if i'm not how to manage my takeoff at that point um it takes a little while to figure out especially as waves are different every every single time brilliant and uh obviously you're going out to the world championships out in california i believe it is in uh december yep. so what lessons do you think you've learned from the tournaments you've participated in so far that you can uh take from and have helped you to improve for, for this upcoming tournament uh, it's predominantly around managing the heat times which um we do with a spotter, we get used to that. We train with the spotter a, a reasonable amount. Um, also running priority. So depending on which competition it is, the ISA is, is a paddle out priority. So if you caught a wave in and you paddle back out, if the other three guys in the heat haven't caught a wave, you're at the back of the lineup for the priority of the next wave. It doesn't mean you can't get one, but if you take off on the same wave as someone else, you lose points because it's their wave. So there's a lot of management of that going on. And um, do you know roughly how many people will be participating in the World Championships? Um, so only from like rumour. Last year, there was about 130. 
uh, competitors in the various different divisions. So it's a, it's a normal like para sport classification. So it's not just VI, there's amputee, uh, uh, spinal injury, et cetera, involved in there as well. So yeah, there's 130 total last year. This year it's rumored to be closer to 200 competitors. So wow, that's uh, that's amazing to hear that it's grown so much in just the space of a year. Um, yeah. What countries are most of the competitors from? Um, I think there's about 24 countries involved last year. I mean, it, I won't know this year until I turn up or they, the registrations actually go on and they go on the website so you can start looking it up. Um, but yeah, there's, there's about 24 countries. So uh, you're, we have um, England, Wales, France, Germany, Spain, Portugal, South Africa, Australia, um, US, Canada, and the list goes on. There's quite a few um, like, like Latin American countries, Costa Rica's um, usually come, comes along. They're quite a lot of fun. Hawaii, uh, as it's surfing, and it's not an Olympic sport yet, is is separate country as well. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they turn up in force. And who are the best visually impaired surfers in the world at the moment, would you say? So at the moment, there's probably three. Um, there's Roy from Costa Rica. There's Aaron from Hawaii. And there's Matt from Australia. They seem to battle it out for the, the medals in most of the competitions. And in the women's, uh, Melissa from Cornwall uh, is quite a long way ahead in the women's surfing. Awesome. And what is it about those guys that makes them, you know, stand out, do you think? I think probably more time in the water than I've managed to get hold of. Um, so that they, they've got a lot more experience feeling the way through their feet, reacting to it, reacting faster as well. Um, they live close to beaches and close to surf breaks, so they have a lot more time to surf than I do. And how often are you able to train? I try to get away at least once a month. I've just been away last weekend down at Cornwall um, surfing in Yuki. Uh, it was quite a lot of fun. Um, generally once a month. I try not to go down to Cornwall during the summer when it's round pack crowded. As I can't see, uh, I'll probably hit people with a surfboard, which I try and avoid doing. Um, but yeah, during the winter, definitely going to Cornwall quite a lot. Um, and obviously wherever there's competitions, we'll surf and train in the lead up to those. And what's it like training in January down in Cornwall in the sea? And how do you motivate yourself to get out in the freezing cold weather? With, with the right kit, it's not too bad. <laughs> so I, I put on a, a winter suit, boots. I mean, in, in the UK, the temperature in the summer is usually about seven degree, seven, 17 degrees in the sea. During the winter, it doesn't really get much below 11, 10, 11 degrees. Um, it's not actually that cold. Uh, people won't believe me, but yeah, it's not. I, I don't. I don't even use gloves or uh, hood over when even in the middle of January, February. Whereas I do use gloves in the wave, wave pool, which is a lot colder in February. And uh, you say obviously you aim to surf about once a month. Is yeah. there much else involved with your training, like fitness work or anything like that? Trying to. Um, I mean actually I'm almost trying to like relearn how to use a gym at the moment most of my gym work over my life has been rugby based so it's been like heavy weights low reps whereas surfing is very much more of a um, cardio based sport stamina based sport so I'm 
gradually trying to retrain my body into doing the stamina work rather than the, the strength work. It's a relearning exercise. It's uh, a little bit alien. I'm now in a gym doing things I'm not used to doing from <laughs> when I was sighted. So yeah, it's, it's a bit different. <laughs> and what are the key attributes that make a good surfer, do you think? Um, balance and time, I think, more than anything else. Um, surfing is a little bit like riding a bike. So once you're going, your balance tends to come. But then when you start turning, it changes and stuff like that. Um, quite a lot of the surfers I surf with are a little bit shorter than me. So I don't think being tall is the, necessarily the best thing but it's still, still there. Um, yeah, time. It's time to react is probably the biggest thing. And when you're at training or tournaments with Team England, what support staff do you have access to to, to help you and the rest of the squad? At, at um, the main events, we take us a, a team of sports staff, a few coaches, a um, few general sports staff, team manager, etc. So they're all out there helping out. Um, there are other things we uh, bring on. So it's occasionally like some teams build, bring physios and stuff like that along. Um, beg, borrow and steal. So if you pick up an injury, borrow a physio. <laughs> <laughs> and what opportunities exist uh, within the UK for visually impaired people to take part in surfing? So earlier in September, I think it was, they... British Blind Sport had ran a have a go day down in Croyd in Cornwall. Um, it um, wasn't actually there at that one. I was away, so I didn't manage to go. But um, yeah, I mean, if anybody wants to have a go, um, they reach out. I'm pretty sure um, we can get people in contact with like qualified adaptive surfing coaches to. Um, get them out in the water and give them a go brilliant well um you know if you can um send me some details i'll happily share them out um you know it sounds like a you know great sport then i'm sure lots of people yeah. out there probably would you know love to give it a go um how can people follow you and keep up to date with your surfing journey if at all so i have a facebook um account which i tend to post stuff on and i have an instagram account um which I'm still trying to work out how to use. <laughs> um, <laughs> hasn't quite clicked yet in Instagram, but uh, yeah, I have both. Um, unfortunately, my name is a little bit commonplace to find me in the Facebook account, but certainly in Instagram, my, uh, my um, what is it? it's called a handle, I believe, is uh, Blind Dave Lewis, so I can be found that way. Cool. And what reasons would you give to uh, anyone else uh, for giving uh, surfing a go? It's, to me, one of the freest places I feel. Um, I get to put the white stick down on the beach, go out on a surfboard and pretty much just send it. Um, no white stick, go as fast as I can, turn as much as I want, um, literally just send it. It's a very, very free, freeing experience. Um, obviously I can't go into the water on my own because navigation and my eyesight won't allow that. Um, but yeah, the independence of actually being up on a wave and being in the water in general, um, being in the sea is, I've always loved it, always been as much time in the sea as I possibly could. I just found it 
a very healthy place to be. And you've been fortunate to surf at some pretty uh, amazing venues. Where's your favourite place to surf? Um, I've always loved going back to Portugal. Um, there's a town called Peniche where I've always enjoyed surfing before sight loss. I haven't had an opportunity to go there in the sight loss journey, but I'm looking forward to that in the next year or so, being able to get back down there again and getting the sea there. And what are your, um, you know, ambitions with surfing and cricket as well, if you like, uh, for the future? Um, Surfing-wise, I just want to start improving. Um, Get to the point where I'm getting scores above four. Next step after that will be getting scores above five. So it's basically going to be a builder learning as I go, just basically trying to improve as I get more experienced. Um, at some point, I may be competitive. At some point, my sight loss might put me down into the, the B1 category, So, which would then be a change, a change in the competition that I'm against, which would be interesting. We'll see how that goes as, as life moves forward. And you said there about wanting to improve your scores. What are the things that you need to do or the things that you need to work on, do you think, to bring your scores up? So predominantly it's around generation of speed and harder turning. So I I need to turn more quickly, but I also need to generate more speed so I don't, um, so I can go into those turns with enough power to come out of them. Brilliant. Um, and so obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about, uh, your sports and, and things like that. Um, what are your hobbies and interests outside of sport? Um, not really a lot really since sight loss. I used to do a lot of stuff uh, like programming at home on the computer, which I'm doing less of now. More, more of my time with the computer is led, spent learning like the, the visually impaired assistive technology, like screen readers and stuff like that. So less programming, more using computers. Work-wise, um, just carry on work. But sport with the with the cricket, the summer season and the winter training season, interleaved with surfing whenever I can go surfing, is quite a lot of things to stick in the life. <laughs> well, I was going to say it sounds like you got you know plenty uh, to keep you busy there with uh, you know all the sport you do and uh, yeah. and your work as well. So uh, it's brilliant. Well, um, listen, Dave, it's been um, brilliant chatting to you about surfing. Thank you very much for uh, joining us on the podcast. And it would be uh, you know, great to uh, keep updated. Uh, you know, please let us know how you get on at the World Championships yep. out in December. And it'd be good to have you on again at some point in the future to speak to you again to hear how you know, things are progressing. And um, I think it's very admirable that you've taken up a challenge of a new sport you know a bit uh, later in life perhaps than you'd have expected and obviously flourishing at and being able to represent your country which is fantastic so yeah, um, awesome. yeah good luck in december and uh, please keep us updated with how things go yeah absolutely will do i hope you enjoyed that interview with dave and learning about visually impaired surfing the next episode of the podcast will be out on the 27th of november and as always thank you very much for listening